We're at this time, we are blessed to have our sermon for today brought to us by Pastor Steve Andrews with a message entitled, The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Doyle's going to pass out something, and maybe uh, others will help him here. Um, it's a map. Help me today. The message I have on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember, right, you buy a box, printer paper, 5,000 sheets for about 26 bucks. Think back. They're in the Roman, Greco-Roman era. And what they had to write on. They were still writing on clay tablets. A lot of times that was for commerce. They made paper out of reeds. And they made um, writing materials out of skins. I'm not sure whether which one is parchment, which one is uh, the other one. But those are the, some of the things that they used to write on. But it was extremely difficult to do that. The technology just was not there. And for the Bible, it didn't come along until, what, 1400s or something like that when Gutenberg began to print that original Bible. And we had the printing press. What I'm trying to, to, to bring today is how blessed we truly are in what we have. Now, at that time, you could go to the synagogue if you lived in, in, in around Jerusalem in the, the Palestinian area, and they would bring out this nice big scroll, and they would unroll it, and you would be able to read the, what we call the Old Testament, all of those uh, things. And, of course, we're going to see that, and Jesus reads um, out of that in authority. But when it came down... To what we have today, what we call the New Testament, there is a tremendous miracle because in the Old Testament, these scribes meticulously wrote the Hebrew on every, I mean, if, it, if there was even one mistake, they would tear that skin up and throw it away. So they would meticulously copy time after time after time. If something wore out, they would copy that. The miracle that we have with the New Testament is that it came down through the ages. We have no original, what we would call original documents from that era. These documents that we have, um, the Texas Receptacus and all of the different ones that came down, they are all copies of copies of copies. And I believe the greatest miracle is God bringing us this truth down through the ages. Paul's writings and all the Gospels that we have and the four Gospels that, that are there. And, it, and I hope, what I'm trying to bring today is, I'm hoping that with our Bible studies that we're having internally and the Bible studies that we have the second and fourth Tuesdays, that we also are have a, a passion for our own personal Bible studies, looking into the, to the Word 
and maybe doing a little deeper Bible studies than we would normally do. The Bible studies we do are wonderful and they have a great deal of benefit and they get us excited about the Bible and thinking about it. But I'm going to show you some things today I hope will excite you about maybe delving into it a little bit more. Um, for those of us, which is probably most everyone in this room, we are not um, Hebrew or Greek scholars. Well, that doesn't prevent us from actually learning about the Hebrew and the Greek from things that are now being published and that we can get um, our hands on and get, a, get um, be able to, to, um, to use. Uh, my study today will be Mark, the first chapter. We've, I don't know if I'll get all the way through it. I've got to, um, <laughs> I'm going to take it very slowly. And I don't know if I'll continue this message or not. But I, I think that, that it, um, it really bears a, a lot of um, fruit in that uh, I, I hope that it will excite you about getting into the Word. There's also a lot of people down through the time since they've had the, the New Testament who have really been able to uh, translate it, which is a fantastic thing to me, to take a, a foreign language. By the way, those of you that don't know, the original documents did not have commas, page breaks, um, chapters, verses, none of that. Those, those things were just line after line after line. And a translator would come in there and he would read and, and, and be able to, to decipher that and bring that into a readable uh, product that we have today, which is our Holy Bible. There are many translations, and sometimes they're helpful, sometimes not so helpful. I have some translations that I really like. King James Version I use all the time, I think. Lawrence and, and many of us in here have a version of that. New King James Version is, is excellent. There's, and I have that um, King James in the easy, easy reader, <laughs> which, which I like also. I, when Reg was doing his message there, and I appreciate because it, it, it gave me a couple of, of thoughts. One of them was in John, the, the fifth chapter. And I didn't give these to Brian, but I, I want us to go to there real quickly. Because one of the things we will learn here is that all of the Bible is very important. You don't throw any of it away. Some, some groups want to only be in the New Testament. And even though I'm going to talk about the New Testament today, Jesus makes this this profound statement and this I think is very important for us to understand in verse 39 of chapter 5 and if I can find verse 39 search the scriptures search the scriptures so what was available back then well what was available was that scroll in the synagogues which was the Old Testament so we don't throw away the, the, the Old Testament we search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And we're going to look at one thing. Because 
in, in Mark, we go back to the Old Testament. There's an, there's an indication that we go back to the Old Testament. Because John was prophesied to come before the Messiah. So, I thought that was quite, quite profound and, and uh, a thought came to me as he was bringing that message. And, okay, <laughs> over on the, I didn't pass this out because the, if you're interested in references, that's fine. If not, that's also fine. Uh, sometimes I, I over, overdo myself in, in so many different references. Um, but that, this, this is what helps me. One of the things we find, and I had brought this once before, it's called sound mapping of the New, New Testament. Because what we find is, because they didn't have the writing capabilities, and they didn't have the paper and all the things that we, we have today, I can go to the computer, I can type in, I can go, and I can print this map. No problem. Well, they didn't have computers, they didn't have all that. They, <laughs> they, they had to depend on something that probably we have lost the capability of doing. And that is keen memory. Keen memory. Being able to remember. Remember what um, Reg read in Second Peter? Let's go to Second Peter again. I thought that worked out really, really well. Second Peter. I hope I got it down the right verses here. Second Peter, one, beginning in verse twelve. He says, "Wherefore I will not, uh, will not be negligent." <clears throat> Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and are established in their present truth. So here's a word, remembrance. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up and putting you in remembrance. Again, in remembrance. He's, he's, he's pointing to the fact that they needed to remember. They, they didn't write things down. They didn't have anything unless they had a clay tablet and they were punching these, these symbols on a clay tablet. They didn't have that. They had to remember, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in what? Remembrance. So how did they, how did we get the New Testament? How did this come down? Because it was many years after Jesus' crucifixion that these things were written down, that, that they, they came to, to be available. They remembered. It is, this is a very, fun, this is a very interesting book, and they've done a lot of research in it. And um, I'm not going to belabor it because... It, there's, a, there's so much material in here. And, and if the first part of it, he goes through that how difficult it was to have the writing materials that we have today. They're, they just didn't have it. Clay tablets, uh, papyrus, and the different things that they had, they just didn't have it. So, ancient communication, including reading and writing, was an oral, collective activity and not the private, silent experience that we consider it to be such as reading books, magazines, watching TV, 
and even listening to the radio and lectures. Just, we have so much. We have so much available to us. You could go and you could uh, put a DVD in and listen to a, a preacher. You can, do, you can go on TV and listen to... You can listen to... Um, I found a, a lady that's, that's teaching Greek from the beginning. The letters and everything. And it's, she's very good at it. The only thing is, I found out that in Greek, as well as in Spanish and all the other languages, you've got to roll your R. No way. <laughs> I ain't got to roll. I'm too okay for rolling. He says, Greco-Roman communication was connected to the physical presence of people. We find that out, don't we? What does Jesus do? He stands and he gives parables and things that people could remember. To remember. Connected to physical presence of people and to living speech and to, the, uh, to an extent that is consistently underestimated today. And I think that's true because we just think that this just happened. It didn't. It was inspired and God had to bring it along. And it's a miracle that we have these things in our hands. And sometimes we take it so for granted. Men have died trying to bring the truth to us. Literally shed their blood. Died horribly. And you can look up the, the history on that. Some organizations, some churches didn't want the truth. Didn't want it to, to come out. By the way, that's, I, this reading list is over there if you're, if you're interested. I wrote all of these books down that I, that I brought to, to read just a little bit out of. Um, for, for studying the, the Gospels, uh, especially all of them, A Good Harmony, I like this one. It's a Revised Standard Version by Ralph Heim. Uh, I've used it uh, even in Passover service. So I really like this, this, this particular harmony of the Gospels, but there's others. Fred has a really good harmony of the Gospels, Fred Coulter. Um, there's many out there. There's many that are available. Um, so where should I go next? <laughs> what, what really st started me on Mark and started me looking into the, to the book of Mark was this international crit critical commentary. I wish I could had the money to buy all of these, but by the time you would buy all this, <laughs> very expensive. And this one is on, on Mark, and it is um, it's a critical and exegetical commentary on the gospel according to St. Mark. Um, I think I've only got, I don't know that I put anything in this one to read because um, what we're going to do is just go uh, verse by verse um, in this. But this is really good. Uh, and what I look, like about it is <laughs> some of these get so um, esoteric they have the Greek and then they don't translate it for you. <laughs> he at least has the Greek and then translates it for me. So I know that those words, and it's, it's the literal translation so you have a good feel for what He's uh, what's being um, written. Um, this one here was one that I found earlier on, and it's interesting that the synoptic gospels have been studied for a very long time. Uh, 
in England, this is Oxford, in England. They call it the Oxford Studies of the Synoptic Problem. And there are a few things. Uh, and that's not to, to detract from the, the New Testament because it is a, it is a beautiful, wonderfully written um, thing that we have. But there has been a lot of study and a lot of things going on, a lot of people looking in it. Um, there's even a newer one in this one, but I would like to read this introduction, introduction because it's an introduction to the, to the, to the Synoptic Gospels. It's called the, the conditions under which the Gospels were written and they're bearing upon some difficulties of the synoptic problem. We assume, and I like this word assume, because researchers and studiers always are looking because there may be something that will come up that will help them to understand it better. What is commonly known as the two-document hypothesis. We assume that the marked resemblances between the first three Gospels are due to the use of common documents and that the fundamental documents are, are two in number. A complete go gospel practically identical with St. Mark, which was used by the evangel evangelist whom we know as St. Matthew and St. Luke. And a collection consisting mainly, but not entirely, of disclosures which may perhaps have been known too, but m was probably not systematically used by St. Mark, but which supplied a groundwork of certain common matter in St. Matthew and St. Luke. The first document contains 661 verses the length of our St. Mark in the revised text. We can measure this exactly because the document itself has come to us. Now, by the way, this was written in 1910, if I remember right. Or is this one is the one that's in the 1800s. Um, yeah, I think this is the 1910 one. So, this is... These, these guys were studying this a long time ago. And, there's, and, and so the study of the Synoptic Gospels has been uh, an ongoing thing for a very long time. The other doctor, document we cannot measure exactly because of its original form uh, has perished. We may take um, provisionally the estimate of Sir John Hawkins, who assigns it to, uh, to this document some 191 verses of St. Matthew and 181 verses of St. Luke. For the purpose of this essay, it's indifferent whether we accept this reconstruction of the document or the alternative put forward by W.C. Allen. And so you have a lot of critical commentary going on. Um, and I want to read um, through to this other side. I also keep an open mind as to the possibility of some extent combining the two theories by adding to the common matter of St. Matthew and St. Luke some of the sections peculiar to the first gospel, which may have been omitted by the author of the third. The common matter of Matthew and Luke is the fixed nucleus of both theories. Though the nature and history of the document are different, con differently conceived, we call the second document in the Sir, Sir John Hawkins construction, which is shared by many other scholars, they call it Q. Well, <laughs> I have a big Q uh, for those of you that are Star Trek fans, this is not the same Q. <laughs> this, um, why they call it Q, I have no idea, except for uh, something about the, the markings being a Q marks. But the complete book of Q is just the sayings of Jesus. I mean, it's just plain sayings of Jesus. It says it's the lost gospel, but in reality, 
you find it in the in the synoptic gospel. It's not lost. It's there. Um, I could read a, a bunch of them, but all all you would find was the same readings as in the gospels. Can the blind lead the blind? Wouldn't they both fall into a pit? A student is not better than his teacher. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher. How can you look for a splinter in the brother's eye and not notice the stick in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the splinter in your eye when you do not see the stick in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the stick out of your own eye and then you can see to remove the splinter out of your brother's eye. So, all of this, 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 these sayings of Jesus may have been readily available. And when they began to teach and instruct, this may have been what they used uh, initially. And then as time went by, others that remember began to put together what we have today as the gospel message. So, the book of Q. Um, let's see what else. Oh. Now, for those of you, I came across this, and I hope it's not something that, that um, belongs to somebody else, but I found it in one of those places where you have um, different books and stuff, and they were selling it, so I bought it. It is called The New Testament from 26 Translations. Now, <laughs> this would be a lot bigger book if they used all 26 translations for every verse. And that's not what they did. So, um, now before I go on to anything else, let's, let's talk about how we can also um, enlighten ourselves in the modern world. Now there's a, one of the things I like is this e-sword. Um, Ian Hefton, I was using an e-sword one time and looking up things, and he looked over there, he says, I want that. How can I get that? <laughs> I said, well, it's easy. You just download it. Well, show me how. Well, I downloaded it. And so he's got eSword on his, on his uh, pad, and he uses it all the time. They have a lot of different Bibles. They've got uh, parallel. You can parallel. You can compare. You can, do, you, you can have a harmony in, 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 I don't know how many translations. There's a bunch, but also one thing that's kind of nice, they also have translations in um, Greek, letters in Greek and everything, with Strong's numbers by it. And I think that's really important to have the Strong's numbers so that you know what you're looking, looking at and looking for. So, um, the other thing that I like is what's called the Interlinear Scriptural Analyzer. Um, it takes the te Texas Recepticus, which is the, the Greek, and, and the authorized version, which is the King James Version, and, and, it, and every verse then has um, the Greek, um, uh, some differences. Uh, you can look up all the strong things, grammar, everything about it. So if you want to be a scholar, and you want to be a Greek scholar, or you want to be a Hebrew scholar, this can help you to do that. The Interlinear Scriptural Analyzer, and by the way, it's totally free, just like ESOR. You just download it, it's not very big, 
very fast on any computer. It just whizzes through stuff. And in fact, there's so much to it, <laughs> you can get lost in it. But um, and of course, a good harmony of the Gospels, which I always, which I just talked about, is really good in studying the the Gospels. So now we're going to talk about Mark, <laughs> the Gospel of Mark. Interestingly enough. Of the three Gospels, it's the shortest. <laughs> Matthew has 28 chapters. Luke has 24. And, and I'm talking about the synoptics. I'm not talking about John. And Mark has only 16 chapters. But it's interesting that Mark approaches things in, in, in a different way, which really, I think, enhances our understanding of Christ and understanding of, of the situations and what, where he went and what he was doing. So, let's, they ascribe Mark to Mark in the Bible. I don't know, and somebody might be able, I, I searched, but I couldn't find the name exactly in the book of, but it may be in John Mark or John or something like that. But there's some places in here where it actually mentions Mark, and that's Acts, the 12th chapter. I think I gave him this one. Let's go to Acts, the 12th chapter, and verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose sure name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So we're just breaking into the thought there. Uh, so here is Mark in this house. And his mother was named Mary. And Mary was a very common name. Uh, Mary, of course, was Miriam, which was my wife's name. If you go in and you look at uh, uh, G3137, which is the, the, the Greek, uh, Maria, Miriam. Um, of course, I can't pronounce the Greeks. <laughs> but it's, of, it's also of Hebrew origin, so, which many of these words were. Many of the names and things in the Bible, in the Bible, and the even in the New Testament were of. So let's go to twelve twenty-five. And Barabbas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So Mark became a part of an evangelistic outreach, which is very interesting. So in Acts the fifteenth chapter, again setting a uh, 15 and beginning in verse 37. Um, and some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit, let's, let's, I'll pick it up in verse 36, visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word and the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to, the, to do the work. And the contention was so, here we have, <laughs> two, as Reg was saying, <laughs> two totally different people. The contention between Paul and Barnabas, and here they'd been working together, and because of Mark, they split. They split. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed 
one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into uh, Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recom um, recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Well, now Paul, in his last days, um, actually asked for John Mark. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy. There we go. 4 and verse 11. He says, uh, in verse, verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, and Titus unto uh, Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable in me for the ministry. So at the end, as Paul was knowing he was getting close to the end of his life and probably in prison in Rome, he wanted uh, Mark to come and maybe they wanted to resolve that contention that was there between them. And he, he felt that the, there was a, a need to bring those together. So in Mark, the first chapter, And the 26 translations that we'll have today, we'll get through the first verse. <laughs> now, which is very, what they've done is they've picked, if the King James Version in these 26 translations, the King James Version is compatible with all the other versions, they don't put anything else in there. Only ones that they bring in are those that, are, that seem to, to Amplify the understanding, which is what you want in a translation. You want to be able to, to understand it better, to come to a better comprehension. Um, that's the reason why we have strong concordance. We want to be able to go back to, to the real world, and, uh, to the real word, and understand that word. So in Mark, I call it uh, Mark, the first chapter, verse 1. I want to get on here, too, because... The uh, Strong's numbers are in my eSword. The different translations are here. So as we go through this, we'll see some things in Mark that we don't see in the others, but Mark leaves out a lot. The beginning, the beginning of the gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he starts out as it is written. Verse 2, in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger. Nothing about his early life. Nothing about Jesus' early life. Nothing about the things that happened in the temple when he was eight, eight days old and the circumcision and all of the things that happened in Luke and, and, and Matthew. None of that is, is recorded in, the, in Mark. So we kind of have a tendency to, and I've done the same thing. I have a tendency to like Matthew, hold on to that one. I go to Luke a lot, and I, and I miss, and we miss something when we, we don't jump into Mark and we don't put it in harmony with the rest of them. Because 
what we find in Mark is some, some very interesting things and some very uh, profound things that, that Mark brings out that the other two um, bring out, but not quite in the, same, in the same way. He, in some instances, he's a lot more, uh, there, there's a lot more detail in the instance, in the places that, he, that Jesus goes and does things. And so we'll, we'll see that as we, as we get deeper into this. And as we look at some of the words and some of the things. So, the beginning of the good news. We know the word gospel is good news. The first word of the good tidings. He's, this was a, a couple of translations. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you say that's right? The beginning of the good news. Because that's what the Bible's... The, the synoptic gospels are about. As it is written, even, um, even as it is written, it stands written in accordance with the scripture. And I think that translation is probably a, a good one, in accordance with the scripture. So where do we go to find this? Where do we go to find in accordance with the scriptures about what he's going to talk about? Because it's the one, in verse 3, it's the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. The one crying in the wilderness. Let's read down to that. Behold, I send my messenger. He is my herald whom I send. That was the new um, NEB. I'm not sure exactly. See, I'm sending my messenger. Uh, these are some of the different translations. Attention. 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 I will send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare the way before me. And the other two are very close to that. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And it's interesting, this translation, Hark! Someone is shouting in the desert. <laughs> That's exactly what he was doing. Isn't it? That's what John was doing. Hark! I'm shouting in the desert. He's coming. So, I thought that was interesting. Hark! Someone is shouting in the desert. The voice of one crying aloud in the desert. Oh, that's another translation. So, we go to, uh, if you want to look real quickly, we can go to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Um, and I apologize, I'm getting a little bit. I may have to get some water here. Verse one, uh, 40, comfort, you comfort you, my people. Says, uh, uh, let's see. Verse 3, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah 40, verse 3. You'll also find this in Malachi, another one in Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you, you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. So, Mark says, this, is, this was prophesied. Go to, the old, go to the scriptures, look in there, see, this was prophesied. So let's go back to Mark now. Let's pick it back up where we left off. And where do we leave off? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And we said, hark, someone is shouting in the desert. Make his path straight. 
Clear a straight path for him. Level the paths for him. Make his beaten tracks straight. Level and passable. That was come from the Amplified Version. Make his beaten tracks straight, level and passable. John did baptize in the wilderness. And if you got your, your map, um, I hope everybody has a map. Um, I, I wanted to look this up because I didn't, I wasn't really aware of exactly where he was, or John was baptizing. I knew it was on the River Jordan. And I'm, I apologize, the map is not the greatest map in the world. I, and I, I kept looking on the internet, and you would think I would have found a very um, elaborate, but they were so elaborate, I couldn't figure them out. <laughs> uh, if you look down there at Beth uh, Barra, and you'll see the, there's a little, uh, little thing that says baptism there, and there's a little round thing. And you'll see the word wilderness just a little bit to the, to the uh, south of that, down, down below, just close to the Dead Sea. You'll see the word wilderness. And just right over the, uh, the, the Jordan River on the other side is probably where John was baptizing. Now, they, I guess I looked on the net, and there are some indications that they know where it was and that there was a pool there and all of that. But the Bible says it was wilderness. John did baptize in the wilderness. Now, it would have been an easy walk or easy commute from Jerusalem or some of these other areas. So they, they came because they heard that John was doing this, and they came to him. And he was baptizing on Jordan. Let's continue on. And preached the baptism of, of repentance. And it's, it's interesting as I was reading some of the early things that I was reading. Um, proclaiming. This word preached is actually proclaiming a baptism in token of repentance. And preached repentance and baptism Proclaiming a baptism of the, of the um, proclaiming a baptism of the of the penitent, and so I think that okay. And here was another one in the, the Phillips translation: proclaiming baptism as the mark of a complete change of heart. That's what we Acts two thirty eight. You go back and look. That's what we're supposed to do: repent and be baptized. We, and we now, with the rest of that, we, we, we repent in the name of Jesus Christ, and we are then, when we come out of that, we receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit after we lay hands on Him. So it's a little, it's, we understand that there's an addition now. This was a different baptism, and, and it wasn't unusual for them, for people to do this. Remember, in the, um, in the temple, and in the tabernacle, there were a lot of washings of the priests and different things. And so that was um, something that was fairly common. And, but in the other Gospels, remember, John was, I mean, he was hard on those uh, Pharisees and Sadducees that would come. Because they were, what are you coming here? Are you coming to repent? Are you coming to change? That's <laughs> what he was and I, I know it was he was a fiery individual. 
It says, and there went out unto him all of the land of Judea. Uh, here was one translation. They flocked to him from the whole of Judea and uh, countryside. And they of Jerusalem. So we have Judea and Jerusalem. If you look at your map, those would be areas very easy for them to get there. Uh, and all of that around that whole area would be easy for them to walk to where John was baptizing. And we're all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their, sin, their sins. So they were acknowledging their sins, uh, making open confession of it, and when they confessed, saying they were sinners. So they, they confessed their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair. I don't see, uh, oh, it says there's John was dressed in a rough coat of camel's hair and was the girdle... Um, and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And, and this one here says with a leather and girdle. With a leather belt about his waist. And he did eat locust and wild honey. I'm, anybody here had any locust? <laughs> anybody else eat any? I haven't tried them yet. I, I understand they're a delicacy. <laughs> Gentiles had some. <laughs> Fried locust. Woo. Well, that was what... John was eating locusts and wild honey. He had locusts and wild honey. He, <clears throat> um, I was reading a little comment. I guess this wild honey, these bees would, would actually uh, put their hives in the rocks. That's the reason why they kind of called it wild. It, it, it was like you didn't have the, the box for, for the bees or you didn't have trees, they, they actually put them in rocks, because this was in the wilderness. This was, was a rocky wilderness area, so they, these bees would actually put them into the rocks. And he preached, saying, his proclamation was, he kept preaching the following message, then there comes one mightier than I after me. The latchet of whose shoes, in other words, the strap that strap that holds those sandals on. It's an interesting, this is also very interesting from John's perspective because that's a servant's job to take the, the latchet off, to wash the feet. Remember Jesus teaches us about that in, in the, uh, the Passover service and the, the washing of the feet. So he says, even as a servant, I don't feel qualified to even unlatch Jesus' feet, Jesus' shoes, his sandals. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose it. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will immerse... Now, here's another thing about the word baptize, which a lot of people get... I'm going to look up this... I'm going to go ahead and... and the word... <clears throat> is baptizo and it's a derivative from 9-11 to make whelmed that is fully wet a ceremonial ablution especially technically the ordinance of Christian the Baptist baptized but it, it means to immerse and in fact I indeed baptize you with water a translation is I immersed you in water I put you fully under water 
And so sprinkling is not baptism, brethren, and anyone listening. Sprinkling is not baptism. We understand baptism is like a death. You go under the water, completely under, and then you come back up. That is baptism. And it is interesting that this was a flowing river. And I, <laughs> I had one person that wanted to be baptized in a flowing river. So we went to the Illinois River and baptized that person because they wanted to be. And that might make a little bit of sense. That flowing river takes your sins away. And I don't know. But I, I faith in my baptism was in a tank in the bottom of, of, uh, of uh, I can't even think of his name now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and hey, it was in the middle of winter, nice and warm down there, and I really came up out of that, and my sins were baptized away. Okay. He shall, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So those are the couple of... And it shall come to pass in those days. In those... It was in those days. It happened in that time. That Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. So... Um, So Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. You've got a map there. You can see where Nazareth is. And Nazareth of Galilee. Galilee's way up here. And, and you can see how, if you, if, you, if you want to look, you can see this little path <laughs> coming down from Nazareth, coming down out here on the, the, I think that's the east side of the Jordan River, and coming all the way down to where John was baptizing. Jesus came uh, from ba uh, Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, and just as he was coming up, that was one translation, at the moment when he came up, all at once as he was coming up, he saw the heaven open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him, coming down uh, to enter into him. And it came a voice from heaven saying, and a voice came out of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son. And of course, you can have different ways of, of looking at that. Um, you are my son, my beloved. You are my son, whom I love. You are my dearly loved son. So there's some different ways of translating it. But the King James, thou art my beloved son. I think that's a pretty straightforward and a really nice way. In whom I am well pleased. What a beautiful after that baptism, after coming down there, what a beautiful thing. I am well pleased with you at that point. And immediately, straightway. I think this is one of the more interesting things. This, there is not a lot of detail here, but if you take the other Synoptic Gospels and put it here, there is some, some things here that are very interesting about Jesus and his entry into the wilderness. And immediately, straightway, immediately after this, the Spirit drives him. Here's some, here's some translations. The Spirit drives him forth. Took him out. Sent him out. Impelled him to go out. Urged him forth. The Spirit was moving him into the wilderness. Now, 
if you look at your map again, you can see he would be right there at the Jordan River, and he began to, to wander, go into the wilderness right there, right there by the Dead Sea. And um, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. There remained, remained for 40 days. He stayed in the desert 40 days. Tempted of Satan. Now, it's interesting. In the other Gospels, we find that, that at the end, he, has, he battles with him. But in the book of Mark, it seems like from the beginning, the very beginning, Satan is there. Tempted of Satan. He, he immediately goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted of Satan. It would make, it would make sense. Okay, he's, he's, he probably has eaten. He's fully um, powerful. He's got this spirit, and he comes into the wilderness, and now he's got 40 days of battling with Satan. In the beginning, the battles are, there's no, there's no contest. He's, he's, he's powerful. He's got all the, the body is strong. He doesn't have to, to, to work hard against Satan. But as the days get closer and closer to the end, to those 40 days, and his body now has, has, has gone about, the battle now is really intense. And Jesus, we remember what he reaches out for. He reaches for the scriptures. He reaches into the book of Deuteronomy and Moses. And he battles with Satan. And literally, he says, this is enough. Get me behind. I have won. There's no more I have won. I've done it. I have won this battle. So he was in the wilderness, tempted of Satan, and with wild beasts. It's interesting that Mark added, and with wild beasts. I mean, there were all kinds of, of wildlife back then. There were, um, they mentioned some in my day, and I can't remember now exactly how many different wild beasts roamed these wilderness areas. But they were wild beasts that could eat a person and, and, and very easily could have consumed him. But probably he was ministered by the angels, and I'm sure the angels kept all of those wild beasts that, his battle was with Satan, not with these wild beasts. And it says here, And the angels ministered unto him. But the angels waited upon him, continued to wait upon him. Only the angels were there to care for him. And the angels ministered to his wants. Especially as he, at the end, they needed to minister to his, the need for, for food at the end. Now, after John was put into prison, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and believe the gospel, and of course, all of that from 1415, and saying the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent you, and believe the gospel. So Jesus came into Galilee, I just missed that, after John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee, and we'll go back up here, and you'll see we're, he, came, he comes back out of the wilderness go, and walks back up into this area around Galilee and Capernaum in that area. And he begins to preach. And the preaching is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And, and, and like um, in the, the other area, 
proclaiming, proclaiming uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God also can be another translation. And saying the time is fulfilled, um, saying the time has come at last, the time is ripe, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the reign of God is near, and God's kingdom is here. And then he goes on to say, repent you. It is interesting that he picks right back up what John was doing in repentance, and he says, repent you. You must change your hearts and your mind. Let your hearts be turned from sin. Turn from your sins. Some other translations. Because that's, that's, you're just amplifying the word repent when you do that, these other translations. They're just amplifying that word repent. Just, just kind of an aside. And I've got maybe, let me, let me just pick this one more thought up here. As, as he is walking by the Sea of Galilee, as he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and you can see where the Sea of Galilee is, and he's, he's up there and he's around this Capernaum area and all of that, and he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> he saw Simon and Andrews, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. They were fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me. In other words, he said, Follow me. Come with me. Come follow me. And I'll make you to become fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. Make you fish for men. Moffat's translation is, I'll make you fish for men instead of fish. And I'll teach you to catch men. That was the full... Uh, um, Phil's translation. And so straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. What? Did they know him? Did they have a, a relationship? Did they understand? Or were they so compelled by Jesus after the, with the spirit and the, the power that he maybe had when he came out of there that they were so compelled to just drop everything and begin to follow Jesus? Those are things that you can ask and you can look into. As I said, I was only going to get to an introduction, and uh, maybe sometime we'll get a little bit deeper into that. But I wanted to help everyone who may be thinking about doing some extra Bible studies at home and looking into to God's Word to give you some, some more tools. If you can find uh, different things that will help you in that area, um, it's always beneficial. It's always helpful. And especially eSword and the, um, uh, the, the analyzer uh, can be very beneficial if you want to get a little deeper into the things. Anyway, I'm going to leave this up here instead of trying to drag all this down.